So are you confused? Or are you worried that I'm going to break into song at any moment? We know we cut a couple songs. It's not because I do intend on preaching the entire book of Revelation in this time, and you don't have time to sing. That's not why. There are a few books of the Bible and few messages that I'll preach that are um, a little more demanding than this one. And by that I mean this. We had better not be able to just sit in these seats by the time we finish hearing what the book of Revelation is about and not respond. Because if we can hear what the book of Revelation is about and then just sit there, close in prayer and walk out the door and go home unchanged, our emotions unaffected, then I did a horrible job presenting what the book of Revelation is about. I wanna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna help you a little bit this morning, so let me, um, let me help you do this. I would like everybody just to clap. Thank you, thank you, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Good. Now, I'd like everybody to say amen. amen. Good. Everybody just whisper, wow. We'll try something a little different. Everybody snap. We're not doing the rain again, but we can snap. And now everybody, be quiet. Now, it doesn't surprise me that the be quiet one is the one that we had 100% participation in. All of those responses, and many more, are more than appropriate. All of those responses, yes, I should have done yes. That's actually the one that I do, yes. Uh-huh. Or I'll go, <laughs> here's my personal favorite. Um. All of those responses are appropriate and right when we hear the word of God preached, read, prayed, sung. All of those responses and many more are appropriate when we get our eyes filled full with who God is and what he's done for us. Please, don't let me be the only one talking today. How many of you are terrified that I'm about to attempt to explain all of Revelation in 30 minutes? It ain't happening, so you just put that aside, don't worry about it. What's not happening? Well, there's two things that aren't happening. I'm not going to do the whole book of Revelation, and there's no way I'm doing it in less than 30 minutes. I can't, like, get up and say good morning in less than 30 minutes, so that ain't happening. My intent this morning is, is to really carve out what I think are the four main points of Revelation. The four main points that we tend to miss regularly. Uh, for good reason. Um, there's reasons why we miss them. So turn to Revelation chapter 4. That's where we're going to begin. I'm going to jump around here just a little bit. There we go. Good. Um, I'll apologize in advance for jumping around a little bit in the book, um, but, but I think you'll understand. So let me, let me just start reading. In Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read a chunk. Follow along. And, and um, yeah. This is God's word. This is not a Tim LaHaye book. This is God's word. After this I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here. I'll show you what must take place after this. 
And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there, he had the appearance of a jasper and and carnelian. And, and And then around his throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were, were 24 thrones, and, and seated on those thrones were, were 24 elders, and they were, they were clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass. Like, like crystal. Around the throne and on each side of the throne were four living creatures, four living beings who were, were full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living being like a, like a lion, the second one like an ox, the, the third that had a face of a man, the fourth a living creature like an eagle in flight, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and they're just full of eyes all around and within and, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever those living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who, who lives forever and ever, the, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you. You're Lord and our God. You're worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. I thought I'd start slow. <laughs> um, when you read such imagery in Revelation, the tendency for us is to get lost in the specifics. So we hear about the one who sits upon the throne. He's, he has the appearance of a jasper. What is a jasper? A jasper is a diamond. He's the appearance of a jasper and carnelian. That's a bloodstone. It's, so you have the contrast between this, this shimmering diamond and this, this deep red stone and then this, this rainbow like an emerald. What does that mean? I mean, is the rainbow all green? Or, or is, it, is it just that the, the rainbow is shooting out like the light would as it ran through the cut of an emerald? What does that, what does that look like? Well, let me, let, me, let me tell you this right now. Stop getting distracted by all those details. They're beautiful, they're wonderful, they're confusing. Don't get distracted by those details. And this is why. What John, the apostle who is writing this book of Revelation, is doing, he is trying to describe the indescribable. So he's using all of the language he has to try to, to put it into our vernacular so that we can wrap our heads around it. But, but you know what's going to happen when you try to describe the indescribable? You fail. My daughter and I were driving this week. I think it was Wednesday night. It might have been Tuesday night. But we were driving this week, and we, we came around a corner, and there was a sunset that was happening. And i got to tell you, man, we've been here over a year now, and, and my wife and I have made comments to each other a number of times. There has never been a place we've lived with sunsets like we get and I don't know why. It may be the mountains, maybe just because the smell of manure has like made me think everything's beautiful. I'm not sure what it is. But, 
but the sunsets are ridiculous. And we stopped, and she grabbed my phone, and she, she's trying to take pictures of the sunset. And, and, and what we realized was this. There is no camera that can fully capture the beauty of that sunset. There are no words that can fully comprehend the one who sits on the throne. So don't allow yourself to become so distracted by the imagery that you miss the one who is so majestic, so wonderful, so powerful, so overwhelming, that there's no way to describe him with words that mortals can understand. Don't get distracted by trying to figure out who the 24 elders are in verse 4, or, or who, what in the world those freaky four living creatures are in verses 6 or 8. They're something, aren't they? Don't focus on them. No. Let your gaze fall where their gaze falls. Because they're not pompous and prideful about how awesome they are. They can't stop celebrating the one who sits on the throne. Continuous worship, day and night. That doesn't mean they never breathe, they never stop. What it means is this, there isn't a time where worship isn't happening. It, it's that moment where, where you have a newborn baby and you go in and you, you can say, I looked at this baby day and night. Well, did you really? No, I went to the kitchen, but you know what? Every moment I could, I was like, wait, baby. Same thing, it's day and night, it's continuous. And what they did is held nothing back. They gave him everything that they had. They worshiped him, they held nothing back. They threw their crowns at his feet. Whatever was in their hands, they put before him. Don't get distracted by who they are. Be amazed by what they're amazed by. I think the first big point of the book of Revelation is this. Revelation is about God. Revelation is... It's about God. Don't allow all of the other things to distract you. But, but let's do this. Don't, don't allow all of life to distract you. Don't allow all the chaos that surrounds us distract you. It's everywhere, folks. This week has been crazy. The chaos just continues. May I encourage you that in the middle of all that chaos, there is one who sits on the throne, who created all, who sustains all, who deserves all of our worship, all of our praise, all of our gifts, who deserves to receive all of our attention and all of our focus. He is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That was the easy one. Revelation's about God. That's almost like the Sunday school thing. What's the answer? Jesus. Um, that was pretty much that one. Revelation is also about God's judgment on sin. It's terrifying. You can read through Revelation chapter 6, and it talks about the seals, the seven seal judgments. And, and we're not talking the barking seals. Or, or, we don't mean that. It, it's a scroll that has wax seals placed on it so that you could peel one off and open it a certain amount. Then you would peel the second seal off and be able to open it a second time. And the third, every time that seal would be broken, every time the, the scroll would be unrolled, there would be another judgment that would be poured out on humanity. So you have the seal judgments, but you have more than that. You have the trumpet judgments in Revelation chapter 8. Every time a trumpet is blown, there is judgment poured out over all creation. And if you've ever had a child learning trumpet, you understand how trumpets can be associated with judgment. Chapter 16 tells us about the bowl judgment, as judgments are in a bowl and they are poured out on all of humanity. And I'll be honest, that's where a lot of people get lost, 
When you start looking through the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the, the bowl judgments, and you're, you're reading through all those things, trying to figure out how they all fit together. Are they chronological? Do they happen in this order? When's the time period that this happens? How does this actually work? I mean, we don't know. What we know is this. They continue to grow in intensity and in focus. But the problem is this. Once you boil it down to trying to figure out timelines or details, you have profoundly missed the point. Careful, but that's okay. It doesn't matter if the locusts are Apache helicopters. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who Babylon is. It doesn't matter why the dragon ate the baby. I'm going to ask that one when I get to heaven. It doesn't matter. The point is there is a severe judgment coming for those who stand in rebellion against God. It will be real. It will be severe. It will be intense. Maybe this will help. Maybe, maybe many of you, like me, got suckered by that eclipse on Monday. For a couple of reasons. I mean, it was pretty amazing. It was pretty cool to see. Um, any blind people today? Do we all follow instructions? All right, good, good. Um, they really built it up, didn't they? And this is the moment of the century, this eclipse. It's going to be on. Um, did you know, this is profoundly disappointing, and I'm sorry if I'm about to burst somebody's bubble. Since the year 2000, that there have been 17 total eclipses. But I thought this was the one. Oh, it was in America. Does that demonstrate how arrogant we are as Americans? This is the big one. No, it's not. It's one of 17 that have already occurred. In, oh, sorry, one of 11 that have already occurred in the last 17 years. 11 total eclipses. There has been a number of eclipses. I mean, you have a, and I, I've studied eclipses now partial eclipse, you've got this continuous one where actually it would be a total eclipse except where the moon is not at the right distance so it doesn't cover the whole sun, but there have been 11 total eclipses. Ten other ones exactly like what happened on Monday. So does the eclipse signify doomsday? The beginning of the end? Well, I guess my question to you would be which eclipse are you talking about? But maybe when we look at the eclipse, we should be reminded of something far greater importance. Huh. The heavens declare the glory of God. <laughs> I got all shaky on that one. The heavens declare the glory of God. The, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I'm going to tell you this. You have to hear me to the end, though, or else you're going to run out of here and think I'm something I'm not. The eclipse is a sign. It's a picture of God's incredible glory and creative power. Which brought this to mind. We have this flaming ball of gas 93 million miles away in the sky. We can stand here on earth and gaze at it with our bare eyes and be blinded. 
We could be blinded by something that is more than 93 million miles away. And yet, we think we can casually stroll into the presence of our Creator, the one who created that sun with our sin in tow, unaffected by his judgment. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11 is where I'll read. And I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky even fled away and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before that throne, having books opened. Then there was another book opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written In the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. God's judgment is horrible. Eternal hell, damnation, and the lake of fire. But God's judgment is just. He has told us it is coming. And he has given us a way to escape. What he says right here. You choose, when you stand before God, what you will be judged by. You choose what you will be judged by. You can be judged by your works, or you can get judged by the fact that your name is written in the book of life. And I promise you this, you do not want to be judged on your works. It doesn't matter how many works you have, how good it is, how clean it is, how wonderful your reputation is. You can stack them as high as you possibly want and in God's eyes, they are putrid rags. Um, Those whose names are not written in the book of life face an eternity of torment. And I wish that wasn't true. I can stand before you with with full honesty and say, I wholeheartedly wish hell did not exist. But it does. And so I will not lie to you. And I will not lie to the people who I come into contact every week. Hell exists, so my job is to chase down as many who are heading into it and tell them about the one who came to rescue them from hell. Just because we don't like it doesn't mean it isn't true. I don't like taxes either. Revelation is about God and Revelation is about God's judgment on sin. Praise God, it doesn't end there. 
the chaos, the confusion, the heartache, the open rebellion of the world, they all stand in stark contrast to the one, and I'm, again, I apologize for having you flip around. Go back to Revelation chapter 5. All of those things stand in complete contrast to the one who we are introduced to in Revelation chapter 5. Let me give you a little, little bit of background. So, so we're introduced to the one who sits on the throne with this, this beautiful vision of, of these multitude of colors and praise and worship, and then we are told at the beginning of chapter 5 that the one who is sitting on the throne holds in his right hand a scroll. We'd already talked about the seals that are on the scroll, and he holds that in his hand. And, and throughout all of heaven, there's, there's mourning. Oh, who's going to be worthy to go get the scroll? Who can possibly? No one can possibly get it. No one can approach the throne to grab the scroll. No one can do it. And, and John, as he's writing, I find this actually funny. He says in verse 4, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. So, so John's just kind of there, and everybody else is like, oh, who's going to open the scroll? And he's like, I don't know who's going to open the scroll. And then the next verse is awesome. One of the elders is like, hey, 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 stop crying. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among all those elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. See, see, what he sees is not, not a grown, fully mature lamb, but a, but a baby lamb without spot or blemish. And he's not laying on the ground as though dead. He is standing with the scars of his crucifixion. And I see that lamb standing in the, in the middle. In verse 7, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. He walked up to the one who's on the throne, the one who everyone else falls down and worships, the one who everyone else is fearful of approaching, and he walks and says, That's, I, I am rightful, I am deserving, I can take this from your hand. He is the only one who can walk into the presence of God. He is the only one who is worthy to grab that scroll. There's a relationship that happens there between the lamb and the one who's on the throne that's different and unique, wonderful. I love this part. Verse 8, and when he had taken the scroll, those living creatures, the elders, they, they, they all fell down before the lamb, and whatever was in their hands, whether it be harps or bowls, it didn't matter. They had them in their hands. They Forget those things, man. They fall down before the lamb, and they begin to sing this new song of verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth the worship that is being given to the to the lamb is is one of your sacrifice was worthy now these people will be kingdom and, uh, and priests not because they're any good not because they're a rare people not because they are are holy people but because your sacrifice was worthy and it was acceptable Old Testament people understood how this worked, and we, we should probably better understand it. You read through Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy even, and what you see is a sacrificial system where people are continually bringing their sacrifices, right? Never once is the sacrifice acceptable and pleasing in God's eyes because of the person who is bringing it. It's because it's a perfect sacrifice. That pleases God. And here, the very Lamb of God is acceptable and pleasing in God's eyes. 
the worship of the lamb just, just continues from there. Look at verse 11. I looked. Now, there was already the elders and the living creatures falling down and worshiping him. But then I looked, and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders. Now there's a voice of many angels. There's, there's myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Is that a literal number? Uh-uh. That's like me walking out and finding this nest of ants. Myriads and myriads. There must be a bazillion in there. Is it literal? No. You get the picture? Absolutely. There are angels like you've never seen before. I mean, I've never seen one anyway, but that's okay. There's angels everywhere. And it's thousands and thousands, and they join the chorus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just the heavenly beings. Now, now we're told in verse 13, now, now every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in them. So who does that exclude? No one. Now every knee is about to bow. And every tongue is going to proclaim this to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever and ever. Get the idea? It's going to go on forever. And the four living creatures just like, amen. I, I got nothing else I can add to that. Just amen. There you go. There's one. See, see Revelation it's about God. Revelation is about God's judgment on sin. Revelation is about redemption. Revelation is about the Lamb who willingly laid down his life so that we might be washed by his blood. And we can stand before the one who sits upon the throne and we can be deemed acceptable, not because we're wonderful people, but because we have a wonderful Lamb of God who laid down his life and redeemed us from our sin. Revelation is about redemption. Revelation, whoo. <laughs> Revelation's about a moment. I know it's about God. I know it's about the judgment of sin. I know it's about the redemption we get to experience. But, but if I had to boil this last thing and the whole message down to one point, I would say it's about a moment. Let me, let me explain. In order to understand that, you've got to, got to look at the whole storyline of Scripture to get to this point, Okay? So you go to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, and you know what happens there, right? God creates. Everything is, is created, and he creates with the words of his mouth, and the outcome was perfection, and the outcome was peace. The Hebrew word is shalom. It was, it was peace, the, the kind of peace in which everything works according to God's intentions. He created it all, and it was good, and humankind could flourish in the garden after this creation because we could live with great joy in the presence of God, our maker, and we could worship him and, 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 and love him and, and love others forever. That's the way we were created, Genesis 1-2. The problem is, is that didn't last very long because after creation, you have the fall in, Reve uh, sorry, in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve rejected God's rule over them. And because they represented all of humanity, their action actually affects us too. So, so we have, through our actions, through our attitudes, we've declared ourselves to be God's enemies. And the result of our fall, the result of our rebellion, is physical and spiritual death, physical and spiritual separation from God, the, the just deserving of God's judgments. But thank God it doesn't end there. 
because the storyline of Scripture goes creation and then fall. And as soon as the fall occurs, you begin to see God's master plan for redemption, how he will rescue fallen sinners in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God himself comes to renew the world and to redeem his people. The story of Scripture just, just kind of builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, and it gets to that point where Christ is crucified and he's put in the tomb, and then three days later, where'd he go? He lives. And all of Scripture climaxes at that point, in that moment, because now we have a hope of redemption. So it goes creation to the fall to redemption. And now there's one more storyline that we look forward to. It's called restoration. Because the story doesn't end with redemption. God has promised to renew the whole world. And and Revelation gives us a peek into this incredible future. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Again, I really apologize for you flipping back and forth. But you go to, to Revelation chapter 21. And what we're going to find is this moment that all of creation is crying out for and longing for and looking forward to. It's this moment of restoration. In Revelation chapter 21, we see it starting in verse 1. He says this, Then I I saw a new heaven and a new earth, because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. See, see, we tend to forget about this when we think about heaven. Because when you and I think about heaven, we tend to think about the goofy Three Stooges moment where we're sitting on a puffy cloud with a weird halo playing a harp. Ring, ring, ring. I don't know about you, but if that's heaven, I'd be disappointed. I mean, no offense if you play the harp. I hate the harp. <laughs> well, you know what that means? God's about to make one of my kids play the harp. <laughs> Sorry. Verse 5. He who is seated on the throne says this, Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. Can you comprehend that for a minute? Even the most beautiful thing you have ever seen with your two eyes is marred by sin. Think about the most impressive sunset. Maybe, maybe sunrise. Maybe you go to, to the beach. You go to the shore and you get up early enough in the morning and you're sitting on the beach and you're dodging all the trash that people have left behind and you're looking out over the ocean and, and, and the sun begins to rise and it's that, that moment that you, you're actually reduced to tears. Even that's affected and marred by the sinfulness in this world. And yet, at some point, he will make all things new. Imagine that sunrise, totally free from sin, in its original, perfect state. Revelation is about that moment, but even that won't be the most amazing thing. We, we see this in 21 verse 4 will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no pain anymore, because the former things have passed away. 
Man, with all things being created new, sin's curse being removed, there's no more sickness, there's no more cancer, there's no more pain, there's no more accidents. Everything's gone. Um, let, let me just point this out. I know Eric Clapton's a great theologian and everything. There are tears in heaven. God wipes them away. It's, it's, it's like daddy getting down. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. It's like daddy getting down with his little girl. Baby girl, it's going to be okay. I got you. God's going to do that for us. It doesn't mean tears are wasted. It's this beautiful restoration of our Father for us. Ah, this is going to be hard to say, but it's true. That's still not the most amazing thing about the restoration. Go to chapter 22. The angel showed me this river of water of life. It's bright as crystal. And it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And it's going right through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. (laughs) And, And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the midst of it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. His name is going to be on their foreheads, and night There won't be any more night. They'll need no light of lamp or sun because the Lord their God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. See, the most amazing part of the restoration is this. God and us, which is terrible grammar, but even that will be not affected by sin anymore, will be restored. Our relationship will be made perfect and right and wonderful as we're brought back together. And think about that. All of the other promises are true and wonderful, but they pale in comparison to seeing him face to face. After all the years and all the heartaches and all the frustrations and all the sacrifices and all, all the tears and all the difficulty of having to live by faith and not by sight, after, after all of the joys of having to live by faith and not by sight, after all the, the victories, all the answers to prayer, all the surprise love notes that God continues to send to us, it'll be worth it all when we see him face to face. In this moment, I guess our takeaway from Revelation is this, we will see him. We'll see him soon. And are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb and the Son of God and Jesus Christ? Are you completely righteous because of his work for you? Or are you going to try to get in yourself? We'll see him. (laughs) Revelation, it's not a sci-fi thriller. It's not about gold. It's not about harps. It's not about being able to circle a date on our calendar. or being able to identify who we think this week the Antichrist is. And if that's what it's become for you, you're doing it wrong. Because Revelation is a picture of the great and awesome God who we rebelled against. And by rebelling against him, we brought upon ourselves the just wrath and judgment of that great and awesome God. But that God rescued us in Jesus Christ.
Because Revelation is about hope. A confident expectation that soon and very soon we'll see him, we'll stand before him, or fall before him in awe because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, I, <laughs> I don't have words. I, I, I pray our eyes would be opened to the heavenly reality that one day soon we'll see you face to face. Lord, I know many of us are praying that day would come sooner and we long for it. I pray that our hearts would continue to long for it. I pray for those who might be around us who, who aren't prepared, who don't know you. God, would you awaken them? Would you lighten their eyes so they might see that you're not an evil, maniacal God. You're a God who brought hope and brought a chance for peace, who sent his son to die so that they might live. God, I pray that they would yield to him. I pray that in our hearts and in our lives, we would continue to be overwhelmed by what it is you've done for us. And the greatest gift you've ever given us in your son, Jesus Christ. May his name be praised. Amen.